Father, I thank you that we can come together today as we have and lift our voices in song as we just did, and as we're reminded of the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf, and then the fact that He conquered sin, He conquered the grave and death and hell and rose from the dead. What an awesome truth we have to behold this morning as we sang of, as we prepare our hearts to come before Your Word today, Lord, I pray that You will do Your work in our hearts and minds, opening our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to the truths of Your Word as You take the sharp two-edged sword of Your Word and plunge it into the depths of our souls. God, I pray, use Your Word that we might glorify You as Your people. As long as You tarry, as long as we have breath to breathe, that we might glorify You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go with me to 2 Timothy, would you? 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We are returning to our study in 2 Timothy. We stepped away for a brief break last week on Mother's Day to to challenge and encourage our moms, encourage and challenge ourselves to encourage our mothers and, and wives and ladies in our fellowship and our homes. We come back to 2 Timothy this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're slowly walking our way through this passage about being strong, being strong as followers of Jesus Christ, being strong and faithful to serve Him faithfully as long as we have breath. And so we come back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I just want to read the first seven verses, and then we're going to come back to one of them this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at the first seven verses with me. Paul writes to Timothy, You then, my child... Now, uh, Timothy wasn't Paul's child other than being his child in the faith because Paul encouraged and challenged and, and helped Timothy mature in the faith. So he calls him my child. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now we've been noting here in these first seven verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2 that, that Paul was seeking to encourage Timothy toward strength in his faith, toward being a strong follower of Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul is imprisoned here. It's likely the last letter he writes, the last one we have, the last letter he writes to Timothy to encourage his young son in the faith to be a strong Christian. And remember, Timothy is leading the church at this point, and he is a leader in the church. He's pastoring and leading in a church, and he needs encouragement as all pastors do, I need encouragement from time to time. That's why I listen. I'm so blessed to be able to listen to other preachers from time to time, and the, the Internet is a blessing that way to be able to grab 
sermons from other people that have been preached to be encouraged by because I need to be preached to as well. And Paul is writing to Timothy to, to just basically preaching the gospel to him, preaching him to be strong, be encouraged as you lead the church, Timothy. And he says, here's how to be a strong Christian. And so we have before us kind of this blueprint for being a strong believer, a strong Christian, Christians who are faithful to the end, faithful day by day. And it is an ongoing daily challenge for us to be faithful, isn't it? It is an ongoing daily challenge for us to be strong in our faith because sometimes our faith isn't strong, right? And we face hardship and we face trials and difficulties that would weaken our faith if we didn't have the gospel to embolden us and encourage us and strengthen us. And that's what Paul is giving Timothy here. He's writing and saying, be strong and here's how. Let me give you some examples, Timothy. Think about these kinds of people and these are the kinds of people that you need to be like in your walk with Christ. Our last time together in this passage, we noted as Paul pointed to the soldier that the Christian who is strong will be like a faithful soldier who is willing to endure hardship. You need to know that when you came to Christ, you didn't enlist in service that was going to be like the Navy. I'm a Marine. See? And the Marines know that the Navy... Guys in the, any guys in, that were in the Navy here? I should, I should ask first, right? I just, but I'm sorry, but when I was in boot camp, when I was in boot camp, I went back and I remember we ran beside, I went to, I was one of those guys they called Hollywood Marine because I went to boot camp in San Diego. That's not Hollywood and there's nothing like Hollywood, but I don't know why they called us that, but I've been to Paris Island before and I was really glad I went to, to uh, San Diego because everything at Paris Island is like a mile apart and you have to run everywhere. In San Diego, you're right in the middle of the city and you're crammed together. The only thing you don't, the, the only thing that's really, really bad is the fact that when you're um, out running, they run you beside the runway of the San Diego International Airport. And you run down along the runways while these monstrous jets seem like they're landing right beside you. And while they're landing, the drill instructors will give you an order that they know you can't hear. And then when you disobey, they thrash you. They punish you for disobeying, right? Well, while they're out there running us along this runway, jets landing beside us, we would go down and square off and run around the end of the runway. And down at the end of the, the Marine Corps boot camp was Navy boot camp. And uh, when we would run over, we'd look, and the guys were sitting there drinking Coke and eating Snickers bars between classes. And we didn't know what that was. There was nothing like that in Marine Corps boot camp. And that's why I say, bud, I'm sorry, that's why I say, Navy is not, we're not talking about the kind of ease that you get when you go to Navy boot camp. We're talking about when you become a follower of Christ, you join the Marines for Jesus Christ. All right? It's not something that we ought to take lighthearted. There was actually a guy they, scuttlebutt was, there was a guy that climbed the fence from Navy boot camp into the Marine Corps boot camp and they, the MPs in the Marine side got him, and while we were there, and they said they called back to the Navy side, what do you want us to do with him? And they said, keep him for a while. After a couple of days, he wanted to climb the fence and go back. So if that's any indication, it's a little bit easier in Navy boot camp. I respect those guys who, who serve in the Navy to cart Marines all over the world. Right? Is that what the, is that what the Navy's for? That's what they say. Enough, enough about that. As funny as that is, that you know, there's there's some seriousness to this. When we realize we we become followers of Christ, we enter the service of the Lord. We didn't enter to to find out that we're going to get a vacation. 
We enter the service of the Lord like the one who joins the military, whether it's the Navy or the Air Force or the Marines or the Army. Whether you, When you join the military, you give up something of yourself. You give up a lot of freedom. You give up a lot of liberties that you're trying to defend. And much the same, when you become a follower of Christ, you give up yourself for Christ, for service to Christ. To give God glory with your life, you give up a lot of your own personal comforts and privileges. But I don't suggest, I'm not suggesting here that, that Jesus Christ has to rip them out of your hands. Because when you become a follower of Christ, and God's Word begins to seep into your soul and sink into your heart and mind and soul, and you begin to understand how, how powerful the Word is to help you change, you begin to change from the inside out, and you begin to let go of those things that you once claimed were yours for, for the sake of comfort. You see, Paul says to Timothy, be like the faithful soldier who is willing to suffer hardship for the cause which he is committed to. The believer's cause would be suffering hardship for the cause of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I challenged you when we talked about the soldier who gives of himself, that person who joins in the military and gives up some of their freedoms to defend the freedoms that we enjoy the believer needs to be like that, ready, willing, and able to give up some of the freedoms that we once called our own and we claimed and hung on to desperately so that we might glorify God, so that we might spread the gospel, the life-changing, life-saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Far more important than joining the military. I, I respect the military. I'm glad that we have people who join the military, but I, I told you last time that being a follower of Jesus Christ is even more important than in defending our nation. Do you, do you realize that? I, sometimes I don't think we do. I don't. Sometimes I think it's more important to defend our nation than it is for God's people to get serious about the gospel and to take it to people who are dying and going to hell. How sad of us not to take our role in the church very seriously and very personally. And so Paul writes to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, think about the soldier. Think about the one who gives up his freedom. Think about the one who leaves his family, his loved one, and goes and very may well give his life for that cause. Timothy, you need to be like that in your service for Christ. As a matter of fact, later in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Those who desire to live a life godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. And I would challenge you that if you, if you would say, well, I've never, I've never seen persecution, and I don't know what persecution is, and I've never been persecuted, then I would suggest that it's likely because you're not being bold enough for Jesus Christ. Because when you begin to live for Jesus Christ in the world in which we live today, you will at the very least be ridiculed. You at the very least be ridiculed. Now, these pictures of the strong Christian are for each one of us in the church, no matter how or where we function as a member of the body of Christ. And this morning, we also see here the strong, that a strong Christian ought to be like an athlete. Paul goes on from the, from the soldier who is faithful, willing to endure hardship, great hardship, and he goes on to someone else who's willing to endure hardship, and he says, you also need to be like the athlete, a strong athlete. A strong Christian ought to be like an athlete, not like the Christian athlete that J. Vernon McGee describes when he says that the only exercise some Christians get is jumping to conclusions, running down their friends, sidestepping responsibility, and pushing their luck. 
That's definitely not the kind of Christians, Christian athletes we ought to be, right? Athletes for Jesus Christ, that is. That's definitely not the kind of athlete that Paul is talking about. So, just how is the strong Christian supposed to be like an athlete? Let's look at verse 5 again. Verse 5, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Number one, an athlete will be obedient, right? An athlete must be obedient. If the athlete is going to win, if he's going to receive that crown, he must be obedient. How is that? How must an athlete be obedient? Well, an athlete must compete according to the rules if he expects to win the prize. He competes. He prepares himself knowing the rules ahead of time. He competes knowing those rules so that he might win so that he might receive the crown, the award. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes, think about those those last four words, according to the rules. Now think about the Olympic Games. We watched them not too long ago, didn't we? Every couple of years we enjoy you know, a different season of Olympic Games. And, and the, the Olympic athletes, they come from all over the world, right? And they come to one location. They don't necessarily even all speak the same language. They definitely don't. But they do have something in common. They have the same rules, right? These athletes can't speak the same language, but yet somehow someone's translated the rules, so they all know the rules. So when they come together to play basketball or hockey or whatever it is, those teams come together and they say, we know the rules to play that team. We can't even understand their language. We can't understand what they're saying, but we know the rules they're playing by because we have the same rules. Think about the kind of bedlam that would be if the teams didn't have the same rules. If we just said, well, you have your rules, we'll have ours, and that, that, is, that is even the case in some ways, and so they have to come together and decide on what rules they'll play by and make them known, right? But think about the confusion if the teams had their own rules, and they, and they just played by how they felt they ought to play the game. Think about how, how, how much worse it would be if each player played by their own rules, if each player on every team said, well, I'm, I'd like to play the game this way, and I think it's okay to do this, and... Think about the confusion that there would be. Athletes understand the need to play by the rules if they want to win, right? And just as the athlete must compete according to the rules, so must the Christian serve according to the rules. The follower of Christ cannot go around making up his own rules to live by any more than the athlete can make his own rules to compete by. That's why God's given us His Word God has given us His Word, and the reason we're coming back tonight to talk about the unity of the church, God has given us His Word so that we would play on the same team for the same purpose to accomplish the same goals. Living for God's glory so that people would hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. God has given us very graciously His Word. We have no excuse for not playing from the same rule book. Jesus taught this as he calls his followers to observe what he taught. Jesus said, listen to what I'm teaching you and observe those. Not just observe, but but obey. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, in the NIV it says obey, which is what it means, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you, Jesus said. 
And in Luke chapter 6, Jesus makes it very clear that the person who is wise is the one who pays attention to and practices what Jesus taught. The person who is going to be wise will pay attention to God's Word. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. And then in verse 49, we find the opposite. But the one who hears and does not do them, that is, hears God's word, but rejects the truth and doesn't do the word, The one who hears the words and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. Who would do that? Right? That We would say, that's foolishness. And the Bible says the same thing. That's foolishness. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Think about your life. Think about your life without the foundation of God's Word. You just try living your life without the foundation of God's Word. And God's Word says, that's foolishness. Your life will come to utter destruction and ruin. Now, sometimes we look around and we struggle with a thought like that because we look around and we think, you know what, the evil, the evil people in our world sure seem to prosper. You know, God is the ultimate judge, though, isn't He? And God's, God's Word is very clear. The end of those who refuse Jesus Christ, who reject the Gospel, will go down to their own ruin. And though they may have appeared to, to prosper in this life, Ultimately, their, their life will end in ruin if they do not humble themselves before the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing that they too are sinners in need of Jesus Christ. Be the wise follower of Christ that not only calls Jesus Lord, but also proves that He is Lord by living in obedience to the commands of God's Word. Believers who would be strong Christians must be doers of the Word and not hearers only, as James 1.22 says. They must be like the athlete who competes according to the rules. If you want to be a strong Christian, if you want to be strong in your faith, and I'm talking about daily, I'm not just talking about a one-time infusion of strength, you need this daily, you need to daily obey God's Word. You need to daily take it in and let it change you from the inside out. Second, we learn here too that an athlete must be disciplined. What do we know about athletes? Good athletes, right? They're disciplined. Look at the verse again, verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes. I emphasize the word competes because it implies something. And he competes according to the rules. If an athlete's going to win a competition, he must compete, correct? I mean, he's not going to win if he doesn't compete. But he doesn't win either if he isn't prepared to compete. It would be foolish of of an athlete not to train and equip himself for the competition that lies ahead. No athlete in his right mind enters a competition without first training, correct? Every athlete we've ever admired and watched, we know that they put in hours and hours and hours of training to hone their skill, to, to prepare their bodies, equip themselves physically, mentally, and emotionally. The athlete who fails to train and equip himself properly for the games is going to do what? More than likely, he's going to lose. 
Think with me about a person who becomes a long-distance runner. Everybody, anybody here ever run long, long distances? I mean, um, it's craziness, running long, long distances. Um, and we did a little bit of that in the Marine Corps too, and I always thought it was craziness then. The person who trains for a long-distance run, he eats for breakfast, let's say he eats Snickers bar. For lunch, he might have marshmallows and a, and a Mountain Dew. In the afternoon, he takes a nap. And then after his nap, he gets up and he jogs around the house carefully. He doesn't want to twist his ankle. He's preparing for a race. And then in the evening, he drives down to the nearest Mickey D's and gets a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese and a Coke. And he comes home and goes to bed early and sleeps in until he gets up and he eats another Snickers bar the next day. That guy's training for a race, isn't he? Not. That, we would say, is foolishness, right? He is not going to be prepared for a long-distance race. That kind of a guy doesn't train well for a race if he doesn't what? He doesn't discipline himself to eat the right food, to get the right exercise, to actually get out and run long, long distances for weeks and months in advance, if not years. Many athletes train for years and years to prepare themselves for race after race after race, and they hone their skill. But the one who would prepare himself for competition lives like the athlete. The one who would prepare himself to live for Jesus Christ in the competition that that we have before us, it's really not a contest amongst one another. But the Scriptures say, live like that athlete who disciplines himself. The one who's going to prepare himself for the competition lives by a very strict regimen of what? You know, diet, rest, get the proper nutrition, get the proper exercise and the right training. It takes a very real discipline, lots of self-discipline. And it's the same for the follower of Christ who wishes to be a strong, faithful Christian day by day. Many times, for years and years on end, to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, it takes the discipline of an athlete. Paul actually makes another comparison regarding athletes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So, run that you obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable, so I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Listen, you know, an athlete that, that knows that, that ultimate victory is his because he trains hard and in his self-discipline. And believers who will saturate their heart and mind with God's Word and will seek to live by the power of the Holy Spirit working within them will learn Spirit-empowered, Word-equipped self-discipline. You must have the Word and you must be Spirit-empowered. That means you must be a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, one who says to God in prayer, I confess my sin. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Please save me from my sin. What happens when a person does that? He gets the Holy Spirit. God says, you get the Holy Spirit. I give you my, my Holy Spirit to live within you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to be your comforter, to be your challenger, to be your convictor, to help convict you when you need to confess sin, but also to help you see the Word, to understand the Word, 
So that when we open the Word and drink in the Word, the Holy Spirit activates the Word. And so I would suggest that the follower of Jesus Christ that's like the disciplined athlete is disciplined to get in the Word faithfully and then to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to activate the Word and make it work and live through them. Paul says it there in that 1 Corinthians 9 passage where we just looked at. He says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Have you seen those new games that you can box on TV with the controllers in your hands? Nintendo Wii, is that it? Um, you got these controllers and you can actually box in the air. And you can actually punch the guy on the TV. If somebody's standing beside you, they got controllers too. So you can actually hit each other and knock each other out and, and hardly break a sweat. That kind of person's not going to be ready for a match with any professional boxer whatsoever. Okay? That kind of person is punching the air. It may be fun, and it is fun, but you're not going to be ready for a real boxing match, right? That's what, kind of what Paul's saying here. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I discipline it to keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Again, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, look at it again. 2 Timothy 2, 5, where we've been studying this morning. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now just think about it. If an athlete is undisciplined in his training or he doesn't even bother to compete, he's not going to win the crown. There's no way he can do it. it means he doesn't win the prize. It means he's not crowned. He's not a victory. A victory. It literally means to be crowned or to have a wreath placed on top of one's head where it says here, an athlete is not crowned. And in those days, what they did was they took a... A real live wreath, green leaves and all, wrapped it together, and that was what you won if you won the, the competition. The prize was that crown, which was a, a wreath. And their prize was for winning a it was a perishable crown. Think about how long that would last. Not very long, right? In, in contrast to that, in great contrast to that, think about what the follower of Christ serves for. Think about what the follower of Christ prepares himself for. The follower of Christ serves for an imperishable crown. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, which reminds us of our eternal imperishable inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We serve for an eternal reward, an eternal crown. Not so any athlete on earth. We must equip ourselves and prepare ourselves and then get ourselves in the game. Think about how foolish it would be for that long-distance runner we talked about that, that might actually do the right thing and, and properly train himself and equip himself and eat the right food and get the right amount of sleep and, and run the long, long distances to prepare himself and he even prepares for months, maybe years, to prepare for a long-distance race. 
And he shows up on race day with a hundred other runners, and he's got the gear on, he's ready. He's got the really expensive running shoes, and he's, he's ready to go. And he walks up to the starting line, and he re- walks over to where the starter stands, and he picks up the starter's pistol, and he fires it in the air, and the race starts, and he puts the, fire, fire, the starter's pistol down, and he turns around and goes home. We're talking about the guy who's just spent months, maybe years, preparing himself for the race. We would say, well, that was kind of foolish. And that would be foolish, right? Because he's not going to win anything for that. He may have given himself and trained himself and equipped himself, but if he doesn't get in the race, he's not going to win the crown. He's not even going to have a chance of winning the crown. And we serve for far much more lofty things in Jesus Christ than the one who competes on earth for an earthly reward. Some athletes today win unbelievable amounts of money. But still, that's nothing. That's nothing in comparison to what the follower of Jesus Christ receives on that day when he sees Christ at the beginning of all eternity. We serve for an eternal reward and we serve for an eternal crown. But don't ever forget that our reward will be according to our faithfulness. You realize that? God's Word teaches and reminds us that we need to be faithful. Our reward is according to our faithfulness. I'm not suggesting that if you aren't faithful, you don't, you don't receive your eternal reward, and that is salvation, because the Lord keeps you. Remember the passage that we just read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4? According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus Christ conquered death and hell and sin and the grave to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. I want every person here today to have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ so that you might inherit your imperishable reward, but I also want you to be faithful today and every day after this day until the Lord returns or He calls you home so that your reward will be great. We have an eternal reward that is fixed in heaven for us, but that should not keep us from being faithful here. We shouldn't say, well, I'm a Christian. God will forgive me if I don't do what I'm supposed to do because I'm saved. I'm going to be in heaven. You'll be glad you're in heaven. It'll be a wonderful, wonderful thing. It won't be like the angels floating around in clouds with harps or anything like that. Thank goodness, that would be boring. I can't stand harps, right? I'm just kidding. Harps are okay. But we wouldn't want to spend eternity doing that, right? It's not going to be anything like that. It's going to be unbelievable. It's it's undescribable. I don't think we can even begin to imagine what it will be like when we get to glory and we spend eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who paid the price for our sin. Think about the depths of your sin. Think about the depths of my sin and every other person in the world for whom Jesus says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You'll be forgiven of your sin. We'll have an eternity to worship our Lord. We'll have an eternity to enjoy His presence, which we can't even begin to fathom here on earth. 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I discipline my body, I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We need to learn to discipline ourselves, informed by the Word, empowered by the Spirit. Daily, day in, day out, throughout our days, discipline. 
And Paul also warns believers to closely examine themselves. We, we help discipline ourselves by keeping a close eye on ourselves with the Word, using the Word as the, the gauge, right? The measure. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? You know, it's likely, it's possible, and it's very likely that there's somebody here today that's not a follower of Jesus Christ. That's, that's never come to the point where they realize, you know what, I do, I do need to confess that I'm a sinner. I do need to believe in Jesus Christ. And I do need to ask Him to save me from my sin because I can't do it myself. I can't be good enough. And that's just what we need to realize. We just can't be good enough. That's why Jesus Christ died for us. And Paul says to even, he's writing to believers, he says, examine yourselves lest you find that you are actually not in the faith because there ought to be some fruit in our lives, right? And when we look at our lives, we ought to be able to see some progress and we should always be able to keep making progress as long as the Lord tarries. We're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. But we ought to be able to look at our lives, examine ourselves according to the Scriptures and say, you know what, I'm making progress. I'm not perfect. Yes, I sin. I need to confess sin. My attitudes are wrong at times. My speech is wrong at times. There are times I don't treat people right. But God's Word is changing me. He's equipping me. He's preparing me. And I'm, I realize He's helping me grow and I'm growing. But you look at your life and you find out you're not growing. You might need to confess that you're not a sinner. That you're not a believer in, and that you are a sinner, and that you need to believe in Jesus Christ. He warns believers closely examine yourselves. Finally, we know this about athletes. An athlete competes, right? We noted it earlier. Think about the athlete who, who goes and just fires the starter's pistol after, cha- after giving his life to the race. He comes and he says, Can I just fire the pistol? That's crazy, right? The athlete isn't simply committed to the rules, right? An athlete is not crowned unless he competes, according to the rules, of course, right? But it's not like we're just committed to the rules. And and sometimes I think we're like that as followers of Christ. Well, I'm committed to God's Word. And I believe that it's true. And I believe you should believe it's true. And I believe you should repent and be saved. And yet, often, we just know the rules. And we don't compete according to the rules. Sometimes we come together and from Sunday to Sunday, we just look forward to the next Sunday. I'll come back to church next Sunday. And I'll hear the word again and then I'll go do my thing this week. And how, how sad that is when we don't even bother to get in the game. The long distance runner doesn't spend weeks and months and even years disciplining himself so that he can show up to the race and just fire the pistol. He gets in the race. He disciplines himself so that he can compete, so that he can win the crown, so that he can win the award. Christians who would be strong and faithful, they compete, but they compete for God's glory. You see, we don't compete against one another. We get in the game, and we get in the game so that we're serving for God's glory, so that Jesus Christ might be glorified on earth as we live for Him, so that others who need Christ would look at our lives and say, that is un usual the way that they live that is really out of this world that must be something that that's that, that's not part of them i wonder what it is and that's when they look over your over your shoulder and say hey what are you reading a bible or they say i see you leave your house every sunday morning with your family where do you go you go to church yeah where right or you carry your bible to work and when you're on a break you get it out and you read it and study it 
And your coworkers go, you know, I see you reading your Bible all the time, and I notice you don't tell dirty stories like anybody else. And you don't use foul language like anybody else. Is, is that because of what you read in the Bible? Yeah. It's because I have Jesus Christ living in me, empowering me to help me not do those things. You need to get in the game, right? Don't just know the rules. Don't just be committed to the rules, but, but be, willing, be willing to play by the rules. Get in the game and serve for the Lord Jesus Christ for God's glory. And don't ever forget that the Christian life is far more like one of those endurance races than it is like a 100-yard dash, right? It's, just, it's not just like you prepare yourself for a one quick, bam, one quick short race that's over just a few seconds. I don't know how fast are guys running 100 meters these days. Just a few really, really brief seconds. Unbelievable how fast they run, but that race is over like that. Think about the long-distance race, the one that takes hours. The Christian life is far more like that. It's grueling. It's painful at times. It's extremely difficult. The Christian life is like that at times, isn't it? And we need to be committed to that long-term, long-distance service to the Lord Jesus Christ day in and day out. We need to, we need to know the rules that God gives us and we need to be willing to, to serve by them, but we need to get in the game and serve and live for Christ Paul himself was an example of this. Warren Wearsby writes about Paul when he writes, from a human point of view, Paul was a loser. Remember I told you he was in prison, right? From a human point of view, Paul was a loser. Wearsby says, There was nobody in the grandstands cheering him, for all they which are in Asia had turned away from him, we learn from 2 Timothy 1.15. He was in prison, suffering as an evildoer, yet Paul was a winner. He had kept the rules laid down in the Word of God, and one day he would get his reward from Jesus Christ. Paul was saying to young Timothy, the important thing is that you obey the Word of God no matter what people may say. You are not running the race to please people or to get fame. You are running to please Jesus Christ. We have this reminder as we serve to please Jesus Christ as we strive to serve faithfully until the Lord calls us home or He returns. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ endured the ultimate shame and punishment for you and me so that we might be able to serve him faithfully and enjoy his presence forever in glory. And Arthur W. Pink writes this with that passage in mind, the race is that life of faith and obedience, that pursuit of personal holiness to which the Christian is called to God. Turning from sin and the world in penitence and trust to Christ is not the finishing post, but only the starting point. The Christian race begins at the new birth and ends not till we are summoned to leave this world. The prize to be run for is heavenly glory. The ground to be covered is our journey through this life. 
The track itself is set before us, marked out in the Word. The rules to be observed, the path which is to be traversed, the difficulties to be overcome, the dangers to be avoided, the source and secret of the needed strength are all plainly revealed in the Holy Scriptures. If we lose, the blame is entirely ours. If we succeed, the glory belongs to God alone. Pray with me, would you? Precious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that You saw fit to send Your Son, Jesus Christ, to be born as a babe and then to live a sinless life. We don't know what that is, but He did. Glorifying You with the way that He lived and then even and especially glorifying you in obedience to your desire that he suffer for our sins. He went to the cross willingly, not without anguish, but willingly. Father in heaven, I pray today that you would help us, your servants, to be your faithful followers, to be committed to serving you faithfully day in and day out, faithfully being being taught and encouraged and instructed by the Word and the Spirit. God, I pray, strengthen us. Help us to learn to be like those self-disciplined athletes. But Lord, I pray, as we serve for far greater cause than any game, God, help us to be encouraged and challenged and equipped by Your Spirit and Your Word that we might faithfully live for You pointing people to Jesus Christ with all the days that we have remaining in our lives for your glory. Lord, help us win for your glory. And God, I pray for those that, that, that are here today that may not know you, that have never trusted in Lord Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that they would, they would pray right now, yielding themselves before you, telling you, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Father, I ask that you forgive me for my sins. I thank you for Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus died and rose again and lives today. Forgive me of my sins and save me from my sin. I thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for those here today that might not know you. I pray that they would trust you with a prayer like that with a humbleness that's genuine, yielded before you, willing to have you come into their hearts and lives and to change them from the inside out. Father, help each of us today to take very personally this message from your word today that we might be faithful to you, faithful to your word, faithful to live with the power of the Spirit, glorifying you in all that we say and do, that others might know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.